Can I have a little light? Ah, I can see. It's been uh, three weeks since I've been up here, so I've forgotten what I'm supposed to do. We'll give it a shot, though. Uh, I've been on vacation for the past three weeks. Well, I was, there was a week in between. I was actually here, but I, I actually did the announcements, if, if you remember. But I, I just want to thank Philip and uh, Tom for filling in. I've heard great things about the messages they brought and things that are happening, so I'm excited. I'm excited to be back. Next week, uh, I don't know where everybody is this week. Next week, we're, a lot of people will be at family camp, so uh, uh, I'm going to go, but I'll be, I'll be back because I felt like I couldn't go and be gone again after being gone three weeks. Uh, so again, I've been on vacation. One of the things I've, I've been thinking about is, is that we as a people ask a lot of questions. You know, you remember when you're a little kid or you had a little kid and they said, why, why, why? Ask a lot of questions. I was on the high school newspaper uh, in high school. That's when you're on the high school newspaper staff. And, uh, and I learned in journalism class and later writing stories, you know, the important thing is to answer the questions, the who, what, when, where, why, and, and how. You have to answer those questions because we, we want to know the answers to the questions. While, while I was on vacation, I asked, there was a lot of questions I was asking myself. First of all, I was asking, why am I in Nebraska, you know? That was for a whole week. I was just asking myself. I'm sure there are nice places in Nebraska to visit. I just don't go to them when I go there. I go to my wife's family. They're wonderful people. But a week in Nebraska, okay. But then this past week, we went to the Sierras. And so I was asking myself this question. Why am I hiking three and a half miles up this, this mountain? And there was an answer to that question because at the top, it was really beautiful. You know, it was, it was beautiful on the way up, but then at the top there was this, this pool and we got to cool off in it. And then on the way down, it was really easy. On the way up, though, I almost died several times. And I was asking myself, why? Why am I doing this? Then we went to the American River rafting. And, uh, you know, why am I getting into this raft? And the guide, I think his job is to scare you to death. You know, because talking about other guides that have fallen off and hitting their heads on rocks, and, oh, this is exciting. And then, and then during the rafting trip, I, for, I, you know, you can ask yourself questions in a split second. Because I was asking myself, as the raft went like this, why am I falling onto my niece? And we all fell out of the, out of the boat. So we're asking these questions. And maybe you're asking, why is Cliff not preaching on Genesis? Because we were been in Genesis. Are we ever going to get back to Abraham? Are you guys asking, some of you are asking yourself. Well, in two weeks, in two weeks, we're going to have our annual missions conference. And we do that every year. That's why we call it our annual missions conference. And I'm excited uh, that Steve Weems, many of you know Steve, has agreed to be our guest speaker. And so I get a whole nother week off. Woohoo! You guys are wondering why you pay me. Okay. You know, but I'll be honest with you. I've, I've always been, wanted to be the guest speaker at our missions conference. But nobody's ever asked me. That would be kind of weird, because I'm the person that asks, hey, Cliff, would you like to be the guest speaker? Sure, I'd love to, you know. So that doesn't, that doesn't work out. So a few weeks ago, while I was watching the corn grow in Nebraska, because there's nothing else to do, I decided to be the, the opening act. I'm going to be the opening act for the missions conference. I talked with Steve, and we decided I could, I could lay a foundation for us, lay a foundation with, uh, over this next two weeks. Don't worry, we'll pick up Genesis, we'll finish Genesis. Just to give you guys, those of you guys who plan on keep com- keeping coming to Bridges, uh, uh, we're going we're gonna to have the missions conference, then we're going to have finish Genesis. Well, no, we're not going to finish Genesis, that's crazy talk. We're going to finish Abraham. And we'll probably get to chapter 22, where the climax of it to, in Genesis. And then we're going to start, start up our, our small groups, and we're going to have a 10-week study in the book of James with our small groups and the sermons sort of going together. So you can look forward to that. We'll have sign-ups for those small groups in a couple weeks. But for these two weeks, I want to ask and hopefully answer a very important question. I think it's an important question for the church, Big C, but... 
But we're going to ask and answer it for our church, for, for the little C church Bridges. The question is, why is Bridges, why are we a quote-unquote missions church? And what does that mean? And we'll talk about that. Why do we emphasize the importance of, of sending and supporting missionaries? Why do we give a good percentage of our budget to finance the work of missions around the world? Why, why have we been over this last year holding fundraisers uh, to make up for the cuts we did have to make in our budget for missions? We didn't, hold, we didn't hold any fundraisers to make up for the cuts in the staff salary, but we're holding fundraisers to make up for the cuts we had to our missions budgets. Why do we challenge our young and, and even not so young people to think about God's call on their lives? Where, where is God calling you? Could he be calling you to serve cross-culturally? Why do we have a, a monthly and sometimes two or three a month missions moment? Why do, we, why do we do that? Why do we emphasize that? Why do we feature a missionary in our bulletin every month? Why do we call people to pray for them? Why do we encourage and support ministry to international students? Why do we care about international students that will be returning to these countries? Why do we send out short-term teams and, and support people that go on short-term projects? This year, Charlie went to Ethiopia. Is Charlie here? Charlie went to Ethiopia. I don't know if... Were you here last week, Charlie? So this is Charlie's first Sunday back from Ethiopia. So talk to... I wasn't here last week. Sorry, Charlie. Sorry, Charlie. I like that. Uh, so talk to Charlie about his trip from Ethiopia. In a couple weeks, we'll, we'll, we'll hear a little bit more up front from, about Charlie and his trip. Mark and uh, Evan Ray Easter are in Spain right now, uh, ministering on the border there, handing out tracts. I've been reading Mark's emails. Very excited. I think he's very excited about it. And I'm excited about our church actually sending a team. Mark's sort of the forerunner. And next year, we're going to send a team, I believe, God willing, to Spain to do what Mark is doing right now, Mark and Evan Ray. Why do we have a missions team that meets monthly to pray for our missionaries, to lead our church in both supporting our current missionaries and, and looking for, hoping to send out more missionaries? And finally, why do we have an annual missions conference? Why is Bridges a missions church? That's what I want to talk about this morning. And I have two purposes in mind in, in, in hopefully answering that question. First... For those who already get it, maybe if I know why we're a mission church, maybe you're going, maybe I need to go to coffee. I already, I already know to the answer to that church question. Maybe, maybe those who've been Bridges, maybe, maybe some of you are here because it's a mission church. Man, this church, you came and this church really loves missions and I, I want to be here. I want to be part of that. For you, for those, I, I want to, the next two weeks to reinforce what God has already placed in your heart what you already know to be true, to, to cause what you know to move deeper into your heart and soul, to cause you to ask again, is there, is there more that God wants me to do to take the gospel to the ends of the earth? Is there someone else I, I need to be supporting financially? Is there someone I need to pr be praying for? Is there, maybe, maybe God's calling me to think about maybe that's something I should do. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to leave the application. For the next two weeks, there's not going to be I mean, there's going to be implied application, but I think the third week when Steve preaches, he's going to focus in on, on that application. What can we do with this? So I'm just going to sort of lay, a, hopefully, a biblical foundation for why we're a missions church. So that's the first purpose, to, to, to reinforce in those who already understand and agree with the fact that we're a missions church. My second purpose is for those who aren't really convinced of the importance of being a, a missions church. Maybe you're new to Bridges. Maybe you've been here for years. You just don't understand what, what the big deal is. Why do, we, why do we have all those things that I listed off? And there's more that I, I didn't talk about. Maybe you don't understand why we spend so much of our time and resources out there when the needs are so great right here. I can certainly relate to that. I didn't always understand why missions was such a big deal. I didn't, never, I didn't think it was a bad thing. I just didn't think it was for me. To be honest, I, I really didn't think about it that much at all. I wanted to follow Jesus, but the idea of following him to another country, another culture, was not part of my thinking, was not part of the plan I had for my life. But then I met some people from a church called Bible Fellowship of Riverside. 
that's uh, Bridges now, for those that don't know. We've changed our name about 10 years ago from Bible Fellowship to Bridges. And they were a little different from the other Christians I know in a lot of ways. They were a little different, a little strange. They wanted to reach out to people around them where they lived, but it didn't stop there. They had a passion for seeing the gospel of Jesus Christ go to all nations. I remember when I was in, co- this was when I was in college, and uh, I hope this is okay. I hope nobody leaves church because of this. But when I was in college, we played uh, poker. Sorry. And uh, we played with pennies with my f- other Christian friends. And the guy that won the most had to give his money to the, we called back, now it's sort of the unreached. We called them, when I was in college, the hidden people. Those that had no witness of the gospel. So that, that's the kind of people I was hanging out with. People giving their poker winnings to the hidden people. And at first I didn't get it. I remember saying, look, if God wants me to, to be involved in missions, he's going to have to come down and grab me by the collar and shake me and shout it into my ear. And he sort of did in different ways. Eventually, through many conversations, through Bible study through prayer, even attending a missions conference, I came to understand and share the passion that these Christians from Bible Fellowship of Riverside had. In fact, that's the main reason I began attending this church in 1984, because it it was a missions church. And it continues to be a missions church. So so what is a missions church? This is my my definition. I made this up, so it may not be that great, but it's what I came up with what I feel is a missions church. A missions church takes an active role in sending and supporting people who cross cultural barriers to see the gospel of Jesus Christ taken to all nations. Okay? So that's not an exclusion of other ministries, and we'll talk about that, that don't cross cultural barriers, but a missions church really has not that they emphasize one over another, but they do that part. They cross the cultural barriers. They send people to different cultures, different places. And those cultures, in a lot of ways, I mean, take, for example, uh, the the ministry we have, the international students. It doesn't involve sending across the ocean. It's crossing cultural barriers right here with people that are moving in to Riverside to go to school here. So before we get into why we are a missions church, let me look at, let's look at the first missions church the first missions church. In Acts chapter 13, verse 1 through verse 3, we read this. Now there, excuse me, I can read. Now there were in the church at Antioch prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius Lucius of Cyrene, Manon, a member of the court of Herod, the Tetrarch, and Saul. While they were, listen, listen to this. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. Now, if you know anything about Paul and Barnabas, they were like the first missionaries. They were the first missionaries. They crossed, they went all over the place. If you have a Bible with maps, you'll see in the maps we'll have Paul's first missionary journey, Paul's second missionary journey. Paul's third missionary journey. So this is where it all started in Acts chapter 13, verse 1, in the church in Antioch. This is the first example we have of missionaries being sent out. And notice that Paul and Barnabas are sent out by the church in Antioch. The call to send them came through the Holy Spirit, but it came both to the missionary, to Paul and Barnabas, and to the church, the church leaders. The responsibility for sending missionaries to the ends of the earth belongs with the church. At Bridges, we want to continue in the tradition established by the church in Antioch. But I want to make one thing clear up front, and I I talked about this. Being a missions church does not mean you're not a local church. For some reason, there seems to be a tension between local ministries and cross-cultural missions. But the tension doesn't need to exist. It's, it's a false tension, I think. Every church is called to minister to the culture and the community 
that they find themselves in. For us, that's Riverside, California, 2013, to bring the gospel of Jesus Christ to the people in their world. Today, I have the privilege of accompanying Dan King. I'm so uh, excited about this. I'm so excited for Dan and his ministry as, as we take the gospel to one of his neighbors who is at this point in his life in prison. That's part of what the local church does. They minister in their culture. We should be doing those kind of things in our culture. But every church is also called to take to be a part of taking the gospel cross-culturally, crossing cultural barriers with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Think about it. If churches didn't do that, then the church would just remain in a single culture. If nobody was willing to learn a language, if nobody was willing to learn a new culture and cross those barriers, the gospel couldn't go. If no one was willing to translate the Bible into different languages, it never would happen to take the gospel of Jesus Christ to the world. Cross-cultural missions is really the exporting, exporting of the local church to the nations. And that's what it means to be a missions church, to take what we do here to, to train up people, to call out people who've been trained in what the local church does and send them out to do what the local church does with some added stuff of learning culture and language into different places. So over the next two Weeks, I want to give two main reasons that we're a missions church. This week, we'll focus on the fact, and Chad alluded to this, and we'll pound it in, that we're a missions church because we love a, a missions God. Because that's who God is. And next week, we'll look at the fact that we're a missions church because we serve a missions God. We love a missions God. He's a missions God, and we love him, and so we're a missions church. We serve a missions God. We're He's a missions God. We're his servants. Obviously, he's going to call us to missions. Both of these reasons focus on the fact that God is a missions God. That God, through his church, takes an active role in sending and supporting people who cross cultural barriers to see the gospel of Jesus Christ taken to all peoples. God is the one that's concerned about reaching other cultures. Missions is God's idea. And that's clearly seen in our, in our first point for this morning. And so what we're going to do here in this first point, which is Bridges is a mission church because we love God's word. Because we love God's word. So we're going to, this is going to be quick. You guys, are, how, many, how many people have been to Secret Church? Okay, hold on to your Secret Church ideas. We're going to have to go really fast here through this. I mean, and I'm only hitting some highlights I don't want you to get the idea that I'm pulling out. I'm going to talk about a number of verses, and they're in your notes there. Have little titles for them and the, and the references, so, so you don't have to write down the notes. You can, I'll have them up here for you. But I, I just want you to understand, this is really a quick overview. that we could, I could stop at a, a lot of other places. I'm just giving you some examples, okay? Some good examples, but these are just examples. Because if you don't have a good understanding, if you don't have a love for God's word, you might think that throughout the entire Old Testament, God was only working with with one group of people, the Jews. That was his only concern. Nothing else was on God's mind. You might have the wrong idea that missions began when Jesus gave the Great Commission. You know the Great Commission? That right before Jesus ascended into heaven... He said, oh, before I forget, dang it, I almost forgot. If you get a chance, there's one more thing I need you to do. If you have time, could you go therefore and make disciples of all nations? I mean, if you, if you get a chance. And if that's the case, if, mention, if missions isn't mentioned in the, in the Old Testament, if God really wasn't concerned about it until that, that final, right before he went up into heaven, if it was just a tacked-on thing at the end, it sort of makes missions as sort of an optional activity of the church. Just one of the many things we do or, or don't do if, if we don't feel like it. But that's really not the case. God's word that we love 
makes it clear that God's heart has always been to reach all peoples. And that God's heart, and we'll see that God's heart to reach all peoples through his church. First through his nation, the Jews, and second now through his, his church. If you've been with us in our study of the God of Abraham, then you might remember one, if not the key Old Testament passage that shows this. I mean, there's all kinds of passages that follow this, but this is the first one. This is the, the foundation. The passage is Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 through 3. We call it the Abrahamic Covenant. Now, we need to remember what the world was like before God came to Abraham. You know, if you were with us with Abraham, this is sort of a review. But we need to remember what the world was like before God comes to Abraham. Remember, Genesis chapter 11 records that the Tower of Babel incident. You guys have heard the story. We talked about it early on in our study of Abraham. Prior to this Tower of Babel, everyone on the whole planet, well, probably they were probably more centrally located, they hadn't spread out on the whole planet, shared a, the same language. I don't know what the language was. Maybe it was, what do you guys think? It wasn't English. Probably Thai. I like Thai. Right, Micah? Micah will, Micah knows Thai. But anyway, it was, it was one language. It probably wasn't any of the current languages, is my guess. But they had decided to build a tower to heaven. They, they really liked hanging out together. They liked being together. They didn't want to be separated. They didn't want to be scattered over the whole earth. So they decided to build a tower so that they could stay together and so that they could reach the heavens. They were trying to reach God. But they were violating God's desire. God had said to Adam and Eve, if you remember, he said, be fruitful and multiply. Really the only command that we've, we've followed in all of Scripture. Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. But they weren't doing that. They were staying in one place. They were supposed to spread out among the earth. So Scripture says that the Lord came down and confused their language. And they were scattered over all the earth. So that's the picture of what the earth is like now. So now we have an earth with many different... Some some guys have read through and calculated probably about 70 different people groups were on the earth right after the Tower of Babel. 70 different languages. And that brings us to Genesis chapter 12, verse 1. So that's the picture. There's 70 different groups or so, 70 different languages. God has created them. He separated them, really, just a side note, for their own good. Because if they had stayed together, uh, it would have never lasted. Genesis 12, 1. Now the Lord said to Abram, Abram, remember his name gets changed to Abraham. The Lord said to Abram, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. It was as if God looked down from heaven and he saw all these different people groups, groups of people speaking different languages. He wanted to reach them all. God loves all people, for God so loved the world. We'll come to that. And he came up with this plan. This was God's plan. He could have chosen a representative from each of the people groups. He could have done that. But instead, he chose one man. He chose one man to start a new people group, a new group that would be his people. He chose Abraham to be the father of a new nation, the children of Israel, the Jewish people. And through that nation, all the peoples of the world would be blessed. That was God's plan. God's word shows his his, his, his goal was not to, to build a nation that would be isolated. His goal was to build a nation that would then bless the nations. From the beginning, God's word shows that God's heart has always been for all peoples. And you might be saying, some, some of you guys who know the Bible might be saying, but, but didn't God destroy a lot of those other nations? Didn't he bring judgment on a, a lot of peoples? That doesn't sound like he really had a heart for them. He did. 
But was he doing more than just judging or punishing when he brought judgment and punishment? I believe he was. I believe the Bible teaches that he was revealing himself. He was revealing his power to them. And, and there's several places where this is clear. We'll just look at one, maybe the, maybe the biggest one. Let's think about one of the harshest judgments ever recorded in the Old Testament. Anybody have any thoughts what that might be? Yeah, that's it. Because you didn't just get one judgment. You got plague and plague and plague and keep going until you get to ten. Ten plagues brought on these Egyptians. They're, they're getting the plagues because they're not letting the people go. So what was God accomplishing through those? Like he could have just, you know, boom, quickly wiped out Egypt. And you guys can just walk through, take what you need, and go. He did it. Why did he stretch it out? Why did he have ten plagues? Why did he harden Pharaoh's heart? Why did he bring this judgment? What was God accomplishing through the plagues? Was his only desire to force the Egyptians to release Israel? Or was he also systematically demonstrating his power over their gods? Was he demonstrating that he was the God of all gods? Exodus 7, 5 says this. God speaking to Moses, the Egyptian shall know that I am the Lord when I stretch out my hand against Egypt and bring out the people of Israel from among them. The Egyptians will know. God, somehow, even these people he's judging, he wants them to know that he is the Lord. Each of the plagues he sent was calculated to destroy their trust in their gods. They worshiped the Nile. They worshiped frogs. They worshiped the cattle. Those different things that God's plagues came upon. But there was one God in particular that he was coming down on. The Egyptians worshipped their Pharaoh. He was to them God in human form. And with each of the ten plagues, God demonstrates that Pharaoh was completely powerless against the one true God. Okay, so what was the result? What's the big deal? We don't know all of the results, but we do know one result. And how many of you guys have ever seen the, the movie The Prince of Egypt? Nice musical animated rendition of the uh, story of the Exodus, right? I prefer the Charlton Heston version myself. But I saw, never mind, <laughs> sorry, never mind. Uh, there's a very interesting scene in the movie The Prince of Egypt. It's a very short scene, and if you're not looking for it, you might, it might go unnoticed. I, I recommend if you have the movie on DVD or something, go look for this scene. After the Pharaoh finally relents, after the tenth plague, and he says, you get out of here, you Jews, we see two Egyptians holding spears in, in, in the clip in this movie. We see two Egyptians holding spears and looking at each other and watching the children of Israel exodus, exit. And they look at each other and they throw down their spears, I think they remove their Egyptian headdress, and they follow after them. Well, that's kind of weird to be in the movie. Have you ever heard of that? Because that's what, exactly what happened. That's what the Bible says happened. In Exodus chapter 12, verse 37, we read, And the people of Israel journeyed from Ramses to Succoth, about 600,000 men on foot, a lot of people, besides women and children, a mixed multitude also went up with them. And very much livestock, both flocks and herds. Who was this mixed multitude who went up with them? They were the Egyptians. And they were others who lived in Egypt. Egypt had, they had the, the, the Hebrew slaves, but they also had other slaves and other people living in Egypt who all had experienced this ten plagues that came upon Egypt, the Egyptians. The mixed multitude were not Jews. They were people who, after seeing God demonstrate his power, realized that their greatest hope, the best thing that they could do, was to join with this people of God. Again, God's word shows that even in judgment, God's heart has always been for all peoples. Moving along to the time when the Jewish people were well established in the land of Israel. They'd set up a kingdom, and now King Solomon is dedicating the temple to the Lord. In 1 Kings chapter 8, verse 41 through 43, we read part of Solomon. Sol, this is Solomon's prayer of dedication. He's dedicating the temple 
Remember, the temple is the Jewish place where they would do their sacrifices, they would worship God, and he's saying a prayer for this temple, this very Jewish temple. He says this, Likewise, when a foreigner who is not your people, he's speaking to God, Solomon is praying, who is not your people Israel, comes from a far country for your name's sake, for they shall hear of your great name and your mighty hand and of your outstretched arm. This, is, this was the goal, by the way. Let me pause here. This was the goal of God setting up the nation of Israel was for this purpose, that God working through this nation, other nations would hear of the greatness of this nation because of their dependence on their God. When he comes and prays toward this house, hear in heaven your dwelling place and do according to all for which the foreigner calls to you in order that all the peoples of the earth may know that your name, know your name and fear you as do your people Israel, and that they may know that this house that I have built is called by your name. Solomon knew that the peoples in other nations would hear of God's greatness and would come to his temple. We, we have some examples of that. Even in Solomon's life, the queen of Sheba came because she had heard of Solomon's wisdom. She had heard of the greatness of Solomon's God. And so Solomon's prayer was that God would answer the prayers of these foreigners as they come, thus spreading the word of God to all the peoples of the earth. Solomon understood that God's heart was for the nations, for all peoples. It wasn't limited to that single group. God's plan was to work through that single group to reach the nations. But unfortunately, Solomon became half-hearted towards the Lord. He married foreign wives and allowed the worship of foreign gods to take place within his kingdom. And this began a downward spiral for the nation of Israel. Their kingdom was eventually divided into two, the northern and southern kingdom. Because of their disobedience, God brought judgment upon them. God actually used the nations, the the nations that they were supposed to be blessing. God actually used those nations to judge Israel. They were defeated in war, and were exiled to foreign lands. The the Jewish people were sent out, were dispersed. The the diaspora sent out into into foreign lands. But you know what? Even in exile, even as the children of Israel, even as, as they are defeated and sent out into exile, we see God working through his remnant, those people that still trusted in him to witness to the nations. One of the greatest examples of this is a man named Daniel. Daniel was faithful to God in the midst of a pagan culture. Maybe you know the the story. Daniel refused to eat certain foods that had been sacrificed to idols because of his God. And he refused to worship other gods. And what happened to Daniel? Anybody know? Thrown into the lion's den. We all know the story. And we know that Daniel escapes. We know that God, his angels, closed the mouths of the lions and Daniel has a good old time in the den with them, and no problem. And usually, if you're, if you're a kid, you've heard this story tons of times, and maybe you've heard it preached on in church, and usually the story ends there with some moral about, you know, tr- truly trusting God and following him, even in the midst of, of uh, peer pressure or, or other things. But that's not the end of the story. Daniel chapter 6, verse 26 through 27, tells what follows. King Darius, he was the ruler at the time, the ruler of the Medo-Persian Empire. He says this, after Daniel escapes from the lion's den unharmed. He says, I make a decree that in all my royal domain, people are to tremble and fear before the God of Daniel. You know, this this is a ruler of a vast empire a vast pagan empire. And he's saying that, he's decreeing that all people tremble and fear before the God of Daniel, the, the one true God, for he is the living God, enduring forever. His kingdom shall never be destroyed, and his dominion shall be to the end. Again, pagan king saying this. He delivers and rescues. He works signs and wonders in heavens and on earth. He has saved Daniel from the power of the lions. God's deliverance of Daniel was such a great witness to the power, to, to his power that this pagan king 
issued a decree endorsing, even commanding the worship of the one true God of Daniel. Again, God's word, which we love, shows that God's heart has always been for all peoples. God does things throughout his word to reach out through this nation in different ways. These are, these are just a few of the examples of God working among other peoples in the Old Testament. Now we move to what we're familiar with, to the New Testament. Each of the Gospels, and we'll do this fairly quickly, each of the Gospels and the book of Acts includes Jesus giving a, a command. Notice I said the word command to reach the nations. Jesus says, really gives at least five great commissions. The one we're familiar with in Matthew 28, 18 through 20. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations. Mark 16, 15. Go into the world and proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. Luke, we'll get to Luke in a minute. We want to spend a little more time there. John 20, 21. Peace be with you as the Father has sent me, even so I'm sending you. The Father sent Jesus to minister to us, and then Jesus sends us out to minister to the world. In Acts 1, 8. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. We talk about wanting the power of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit comes upon those who will be his, his witnesses to the ends of the earth. Hudson Taylor said, Hudson Taylor, great missionary to inland China, said, The Great Commission is a command to obey, not an option to consider. Jesus gives these commands. We see Jesus' heart in these. Each of these verses underscores Jesus and God's heart to reach all people. In Romans chapter 15, 20, we get a, get a glimpse of the heart God gave to the Apostle Paul. Remember who Paul was? He was a Jewish Pharisee. And what do we know about the Pharisees? What was their major concern? To live by the law and to be Jewish to stay insulated, to keep yourself separate in every possible way you can from those terrible Gentiles. Paul, after he's transformed by the love of God, says this, and thus I make it my ambition to preach the gospel not where Christ has already been named, lest I build on someone else's foundation. Paul's passion was to take it to the, to the ends of the earth, to take the gospel to places where people had never heard of Christ. That was Paul's heart. Paul's ambition was to preach the gospel, not just preach the gospel. Paul had a heart to preach the gospel where it had not been heard before, to cross cultural barriers and reach the unreached, those hidden people. Now, at this point, you might be asking yourself another question. Is he, me, Is Cliff really saying that the whole point of God's word is to communicate God's heart for all nations? Well, I'm not sure if I'd I'd go that far. But let's, let's, let's look at one final passage that really sums up what we've been talking about. It's Luke chapter 24. This is the, the great commission in Luke. Luke chapter 24, verses 45 through 48. This passage takes place after Jesus' resurrection. So Jesus has died and and now he's risen from the dead. But before his ascension, before he goes up into heaven. It's on the road to Emmaus. And Jesus encounters two of his followers. We don't don't know who they are. Just two who had been following him. Probably not the twelve. Probably some peripheral followers. And they engaged in conversation. And we read this. Then he, Jesus, opened their minds to understand the scriptures. Jesus opened their mind to understand the scriptures and said to them, Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead, and that repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. This is Jesus' summary of the scripture. He may have said more stuff, I don't know. This is what Luke included. Jesus' summary, this is what's written in the scriptures. He opened their mind to understand the scriptures. Thus it is written, Christ would suffer and rise from the dead, and repentance and forgiveness would be preached to all nations. 
What scripture was he talking about? Anybody? The Old Testament. There was no New Testament. First book of the New Testament was probably written 50 AD or so. Jesus is... There is no New Testament. Jesus hasn't even ascended yet. He's talking about the Old Testament. Jesus says that the Old Testament covers two main ideas. First, that Christ will rise from the dead. This speaks of redemption. This speaks of the fulfillment of the sacrificial system and, and the law, the fulfillment of prophecy and much more. And second, that repentance and forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations beginning in Jerusalem. Jesus summarizes the scriptures with those things. It speaks, this, this second part speaks of redemption. It speaks of the nation of Israel. It goes back to Genesis chapter 12. Remember Paul calls that from our Galatian study, the gospel in advance, that God through Abraham and his descendants would bless the nations and that blessing would come through, now we know, through Christ himself. Jesus is speaking of those scriptures that we've examined in in Exodus and in Chronicles and Genesis and the ones that we haven't examined as well. I hope we see that God's word reveals that his heart has always been for the nations. This was not a tacked on thing at the end. This isn't one of the things that we do as a church. This is the thing. This is the theme of the scriptures. Missions is not something that Jesus tacked on at the end of his ministry. It's found throughout the Bible, both Old and New Testament. So the first reason we're a missions church is because we love the word of God. We believe it. What's our core values? You guys, they're on the front of your bulletin. What's the, what's the second one? Reliance, relying on the word of God. We rely on the word of God to guide us and direct us and it guides us and directs us to go to the nations. Second reason that Bridges is a missions church is because we love God's world. We love God's world. God's people love what God loves. And the most familiar verse in the Bible is John 3.16, right? This describes what God and therefore his people are to love. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. Good stuff. You know, I've heard, I've heard it said that you can take that word world, for God so loved the world, and put your own name in the, in the place of the world. For God so loved Gary, for God so loved Tracy, for God so loved Terry, that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him, Terry and Gary and Tracy believeth in him. They should have eternal life. And I, I believe that's true. We can do that. Second Peter 3.9 says, The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promises, as some count slowest, but is patient towards you and me, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. God is concerned about each individual person in this world. I believe God loves you and me. He loves us so much that he, that he gave us Jesus. But for today, I, I want to keep that word world intact. Right where Jesus said it. I want us to t- take a second and think about the world that God loves. God loves individuals, but he also loves peoples and nations and ethnic groups. And if we're going to have the, the heart of God, if we're going to love his world like he does then we need to know what his world is like. I think Steve, in a couple weeks, will give us some application in this area, how we can know more about our world. But we need to have our eyes opened. We need to see what's out there. I'm just going to show this a little, less, a little over a minute, short clip, just for time's sake, just uh, to encourage us in, in understanding the needs of the world. Can we have that? huge needs in the world. There's issues all around the world. Vast numbers of those who are without Christ. There's the unreached, the least reached, the most gospel resistant. And then 
huge physical needs represented around the world. I know that Latin America has a lot of necessity, especially with our economies. I think it's the poverty. Most people in Africa do not know where the next meal will come from. Many children that live in the street. So when you talk about uh, people living on less than one dollar a day, it means that every meal is a prayer. There's an acronym, it's T-H-U-M-B. There's the tribal groups, the Hindus, the unreligious peoples, the Muslims, and the Buddhists. You have people who believe in witchcraft, for example. People dedicating their children to spirits of the dead. These are people that are desperately trying to find God. Did you notice that that one thing maybe you want to remember? The T-H-U-M-B-S, thumbs. You guys get that? It was kind of quick. What does that stand for? It's sort of giving a picture of the world. T, tribal, tribal groups, those, those uh, groups that live in tribes. H, Hindus, mostly found in India. Un, un, unreligious, unreligious. They're, they're all unreached. Unreligious, that's mostly in China, the, the atheists, the, where you've, the, the cultures where they've trained people to believe in and know God at all. And the M, Muslims, and then B, Buddhists. There was no S, right? No S, the Buddhists, okay. The world that God loves is desperately in need. And you know what they're in need of? Some people have the wrong idea of what they're in need of. They're not in, I mean, they, they, have, they have physical needs, they have emotional needs, but their, their main need is, is spiritual. Their need is, they need, they need God. They need to know their creator And he's responded, God has responded to that need by calling his church. Now, it was, in the Old Testament, it was the nation Israel. Now it's his church. We are his representatives in this world. Anybody know, uh, I I hate when I do this because I always forget the reference. I think it's uh, 2 Corinthians 5, 20, that calls us his ambassadors. We're his ambassadors. We truly are God's representatives in the world. Mark and Evan Ray are representing their ambassadors for Jesus Christ right now on the border between uh, Morocco, I mean between Spain and, and Morocco, that, that north into northern Africa. They're, ambas- they're ambassadors for Jesus Christ into the world. We, we need to take the gospel to the world because God loves it and because he calls us to love it as well. So why is Bridges a mission shirt? So far we've seen two reasons. First, because we love God's word, and God, God's word reveals, not just reveals, but commands his church to reach the nations. That should be enough. God, our creator, has commanded us to reach the nations. And second, because we love God's world. We love people, and we see their needs. If, if God's word commanded us to reach the nations, but the nations were already reached, everybody already knew Jesus, then we'd, we'd be good. But that command to reach goes with the need that's there. Put those two together. We love people. We see millions headed to a Christless eternity. We, and we want to offer them the love that God has given us. I think these are two awesome reasons, two great reasons, two biblical reasons. I think obedience to the word of God is is necessary. I think having a heart to see people come to Christ, to spend eternity in heaven is crucial. But there's one more reason I think we're a missions church. And this reason is, I believe, the most important of them all. What's What's our first core value? It's our first in order, and it's our first priority as a church, bringing glory to God. The third reason Bridges is a missions church is because we love God's worship. That could be God's glory, but then we wouldn't have three W's. Okay, thanks. When we focus on our obedience to God, when we focus on our obedience to God's word, then the missionary becomes the focus of missions, those that go forth, and that's okay. When we focus on the needs of the world, then the non-Christian 
And their needs become the focus of missions. And that's part of it. But when we focus on worship, when we understand that God's glory is the most important thing in all of the universe, when we understand that He deserves the worship and the praise and the honor and the glory of all people, then God becomes the focus of missions. You might have heard this quote before. I'm sure I've used it before, but it's worth repeating. John Piper in his book, Let the Nations Be Glad, says, Missions is not the ultimate goal of the church. You might think that. You might think that here at Bridges, that missions is our ultimate goal. It's not. Worship is. Missions exists because worship doesn't. Worship, God's glory is ultimate, not missions, because God is ultimate, not man. Throughout Scripture, we are told, we are commanded to worship God. And often we're given a context for that worship. The Psalms, if you've read through the Psalms, they're full of verses calling us to worship God among the nations. In your notes, I've given you a list of of some of these Psalms. Some of these Psalms that call us to worship the Lord among the nations. But in our time this morning, I just want to look at one passage. That has uh, that refers to this. First Chronicles chapter sixteen, verses twenty three through twenty nine. Let me read it, and then I'm going to make a few comments. Sing to the Lord all the earth, tell of His salvation from day to day, declare His glory among the nations, His marvelous works among all peoples. For great is the Lord, and greatly to be praised, and He is to be held in awe above all gods. For all gods of the peoples are idols, but the Lord made the heavens. Splendor and majesty are before him. Strength and joy are in this place. Ascribe to the Lord, O clans of people. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Because an offering, bring an offering and come before him. Worship the Lord in the splendor of holiness. And we learned several things. In this passage. First, we learn that all peoples of the earth are commanded, all peoples of the earth are commanded to sing to the Lord, to worship and proclaim his salvation. Ascribe to the Lord, O clans of peoples, ascribe to the Lord the glory, glory and strength, ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. God deserves this glory. Now, to paraphrase Romans chapter 10, verse 14, which says, how can they believe unless someone is sent? How can they worship the one they have not believed in? It's the responsibility of the church to make sure they hear, that they understand, to bring them an opportunity to worship the one true living. There are people out there that have never had the opportunity to know and to worship the one true living God. And that's our responsibility as a church. Second, we learn how we accomplish our mission. Verse 24 answers that question. We declare his glory among the nations, his marvelous works among all peoples. Listen to this. Missions is the act of worshiping God among the nations. Missions is going someplace and proclaiming the greatness of God to the people that you're sent to. Now that involves learning their language and their culture so you can do it in in a way they'll understand it. But it's really proclaiming the greatness of God to a people that has never heard of that God. Thirdly, we learn why God is to be worshipped. Because He is great. He is worthy. He is above all gods. Verse 27, splendor and majesty are before him. Strength and joy are in his place. And fourth and final thing we learn is that all other gods are idols. All other gods are idols. Did you know that? Did you know that all other gods are idols? That there's only one true God? Well, think about this. All over the world, People are bowing down and worshiping and serving idols. Wooden idols, golden idols, idols of their own mind, 
the glory and honor, the praise due the one true God, the creator of heaven and earth, is going to images of man, images of creatures or concepts from the pit of hell. Now, if that doesn't spur us to reaching the nations, then then I think we don't have a a true understanding of of God's worth. The glory that's due His name is, is going to wood, to gold, to materialism, to atheism, to all kinds of other isms. A.W. Tozer said this, God saves men to make them worshipers. God saves men to make them worshipers. I just want to conclude with with an example. An example of of the creation of a worshiper. As a missions church, I think it's our goal to see this example, this story that I'm going to tell repeated over and over again among the nations. This story comes from the time when Christina, my wife, and I were were missionaries in Thailand. There was a a young man. His name was Kwan. He was a college student in Lopuri. Kwan is the one on the left. You might recognize the guy on the right. Maybe you do, maybe you don't. Yeah, he's he's grown a little bit since then. I met Kwan at, at... I'm sorry. Kwan was a, a, a Buddhist, a Thai Buddhist, and he gave his worship, because everybody gives their worship to something. He gave his worship to the spirits. He gave his worship to golden images of a man who had been dead for over 25,000 years, and no one claimed that he had come back from the dead. I met Kwan at, at one of our evangelistic camps. He was a very typical Thai young man. If, if, if you don't know Thai culture, you won't know this, but I'll, I'll explain a little bit. He went to school, but his main course of study was uh, having a good time, having fun. Not too unlike some of our uh, colleges, students. He played the guitar, like many, many Thai young men played the guitar. It was, it was pretty common. Uh, when asked why, I, why, why do you like the guitar, he said, quite honestly, because uh, chicks dig music. That's why. After the evangelistic camp, though, Quan's life began to change. His friend, C, his, his best friend, became a Christian at that camp and began to, to, to be discipled, began to follow after Jesus, and his life began to change. And Quan became very interested in the gospel. He began attending the, the new church that we had started. He even played guitar in worship because we didn't have anybody else that could play guitar. We had Quan. He was, he was our guitar player in, in worship. Even before he came to Christ, he, he started to worship God. Through Bible study and learning worship songs, Quan's heart was open to the gospel. And it wasn't long before he, he gave his life to Jesus. There's another slide of him leading worship. And I, and I, and I, and I, and I know now, Quan continues to lead worship in the church in Thailand. He continues to declare God's glory among the nations of Thailand. His marvelous deeds among the Thai people. That's why we're a missions church. Because we love a missions God. We love His Word, and it commands us to reach the nations. We love His world, a world that's in desperate need. And most of all, we love His worship. To see... God, receive the glory and honor due His name. The glory and honor He deserves. And He deserves it from you, and He deserves it from me, and He deserves it from Quan. He deserves it from His church, but He also deserves it from that T-H-U-M-B, from every person that He created. He deserves their worship. Next week, we're going we're gonna to look at three more reasons why we're a mission church, really under the heading of because we serve a missions God. And again, as I say, this is preparing us for Steve to come and share at our missions conference and, and give us some application. I, I, could, I could start that right now and, and tell us about prayer and 
considering a short-term trip, considering, you know, is God calling you maybe to cross a, a cultural barrier? Is God calling you to su- support financially, maybe give sacrificially? But I'm not going to do that. I, I, I just did it, but I'm not going to do it. I'm going to leave that for Steve. So I would just encourage you to, to consider these things and, and that question, why Bridges is a mission church. I hope that's been reinforced in your heart and mind today. Would you pray with me? Father God, thank you for this time. Lord, thank you that you are glorious. Lord, that you deserve the honor and praise and worship from every single individual on this planet. Lord, and you've commissioned your church, that's us, to go forth and and, and tell the, the truth of the gospel, to bring people into relationship with you, that they might glorify and honor your name, that they might receive eternal life, that they might spend eternity with you continually glorifying and honoring your name. That's our desire. That's our heart as a church. So I pray that you would work in, in my heart and each person here, that we would be continually convinced of your love for the nations and that that convincing in our minds and our heart would lead us to action, lead us to involvement in reaching the world for Jesus Christ. Amen.